today. We're going to talk about encouragement. We're going to talk about blessed are the encouragers. Please hear what I got to say today. We need help in this area. We are on information overload in this land. People are getting swallowed up by too much information. We're in the information age. I don't think it's helped us that much. I think we're overwhelmed with information. Let me tell you something. Information's for your head. You put information in your head, your heart doesn't need information. Your heart needs encouragement and strength. And we need a whole lot less information and more encouragement and strength. Most people know what to do. They just don't have the strength to do it right here. So more than we need more facts, we need something right here. And that's called encouragement or strength. And we desperately need it. Let me ask you a question. Do you live out of your head or out of your heart? You live out of your heart. The Bible said this, guard your heart because out of your heart come the issues of life. I, I don't care how smart you are up here. You can be brilliant and have a lot of information. Your life suck. You live the way you live because of what's in your heart. That's why I said guard your heart, not your head. Guard your heart because out of the heart come all the issues of your life. If your heart's full of hope and strength and wisdom and grace, you can have a great life. I don't care if you don't have an IQ above room temperature. I don't care if it's in single digits. You can have a great life if your heart is strong. But you can have all kinds of degrees and a big head and your life, if you're discouraged and defeated, your life's going to be miserable. It's the heart. We're going to talk about that today. How many, of you, how many of you have ever heard of encouragement? Guess where it comes from? Where does all encouragement come from? Look with me. Well, before we look at that, look with me in 1 Corinthians 14. I don't know if you know what this is, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, this is why our Heavenly Father is saying to you and me, this is how I want y'all to live with each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is where he says, this is how I want you to cooperate with each other. I'm going to bring a family together. And this is how I want you to treat each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, here are the gifts I'm going to give each one of you to help each other. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, nothing is bigger than loving each other. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many gifts you have. If you don't love each other, nothing matters. And in 1 Corinthians 14 is where he talks about the priorities. Now, I want you to look at something he said to you in 1 Corinthians 14. Number one, 1 Corinthians 14, one, pursue love. You know what pursue means? You ever been coon hunting? Three of us have. Coon hunting's different from deer. Deer hunting's for lazy people. Coon hunting's for moving people. Deer hunting, you just sit and watch. I've never understood. You don't know what crazy is. A man will get out of a warm bed with a good looking woman in the dark to go sit on a tree limb in the cold hoping 50 pounds of cheap meat walks by. That didn't make a lick of sense. Coon hunting's different. Coon hunting, you turn the dog loose and you got to chase them. And you run behind them. And I used to love coon hunt when I was younger. We'd run through the swamps, run through the briars, get hit in the head. It didn't matter. Talk about what a great time we had. But in coon hunting, you have to chase them. What's the word pursue mean? Listen to me. Chase love. Chase loving people. Chase loving Jesus more than anything else. And then he said this, and desire spiritual gifts. A lot of people don't like spiritual gifts. What did the Bible tell you to do right there? Wish you had them. You need to wish you had spiritual gifts. Tell him, I want spiritual gifts. But listen to what he says. But above all the gifts, pursue this one right here. Pursue spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy. What's the one spiritual gift you're supposed to want more than any other gift? Chase love. Chase loving people and caring for people. And you need to want spiritual gifts. But above everything else, you need to want to prophesy. Now this prophecy here is not talking about telling the outcome of the war in the future. This is a different prophecy. Look at me in verse 3, I believe. 
He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. What's the word edification mean? We don't use that word in our common vernacular. Uh, We get our word edifice from it, build up. What's our word for it? Encouragement. Encouragement. Dear ones, the Bible said this, pursue love, learn how to love people, desire spiritual gifts, but more than anything else, I want you to pursue encouraging people, edifying people, and comforting people when they're hurting. Now, what's, the father, what's my father want me doing above everything else? Learn how to encourage people. Become an encourager. Learn how to build people up. Learn how to comfort people when they're hurting. There was, I'm telling you, the greatest need of our lives is not to be told what to do or given information. It's to be encouraged and built up. At heart level. Remember, this is for your heart. At heart level, this is the greatest need we have. Now, we pursue this. All right. Question. What is the source of all encouragement? Where does all encouragement on the earth come from? Turn the page, maybe two pages to the right, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't ask you a question. If me and you were to sit down at lunch and I said, and I would ask you this, you ever heard of God? And you said, well, yeah. I said, well, are you a follower of God? I try to be. And I said this to you, tell me about him. Tell me what you know about him. What would you say about him? You know what the first thing I'd say about him is? He is the greatest encourager I ever met. Our heavenly father is the greatest encourager in the earth. If you don't think of God as a great encourager, you hadn't heard him yet. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercy, and watch these words, and the God of all comfort. What did the Bible say he is? You know what comfort is? Somebody's hurting, somebody's going through a hard time. You sit down, put your arm around them, you talk to them, they feel better. That's comfort. Where does all comfort in the earth come from according to that verse? It starts with God. He's the greatest comfort. Let me tell you something. He's the most forgiven man I ever met. He's the kindest man I ever met. He's the most exciting man I ever met. You wouldn't know that hanging around a church. He's the most encouraging man I ever met. God speaks today. And when he speaks, he don't just puke out information. He speaks encouragement and hope and comfort. I don't want you to look at a word with me in there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Father of mercies, God of all. See the word comfort. If your Bible says, Bibles say different things. We've got different translations. Comfort's not the best word there. It's the word paraklis or klis from the root word paraklete. The word paraklete is the same name of the Holy Spirit. But listen to what paraklete. Paraklete's two Greek words and it mean, para means to walk beside somebody. Parallel, we got our word parallel from it. To walk beside somebody, klete or klis means to speak encouragement to them. A, a comfort means to walk beside somebody in life and encourage them and build them up. What the Bible say God is? He walks beside me in life and he encourages me and he builds me up. He's the God of all encouragement. Let's read the rest of it. He comforts us and the Bible says this, in all our difficulties, surely you've got some of those, who comforts us in all our troubles. Anybody ever had any problems? Some of you got them now, my goodness. Any problems in the earth right now? Tell me what the Bible says about your heavenly father. What does he do? If you got problems, he's coming to you to encourage you and comfort you and build you up. And he does this by his spirit. He is the source of all encouragement and all help and all hope. Now, I was a young fellow. I, didn't, I hated church. It wasn't, well, it was, I was lost, but it wasn't that, it wasn't, I don't think there's nothing wrong with me. I was normal. You know what the problem was? I went to church, they beat me up. Preachers talked about how rotten I was. Big fat preachers in little tight polyester suits screaming at me and hollering how wicked you was and you was going to hell. And I said, they call this good news. Where's the good news? It brings great joy. I ain't heard nothing yet. 
God don't beat people up. God builds people up. Right there it is. He's the God of all encouragement who encourages us anytime we're having a difficulty. That's the living God. That's his nature is to encourage and build people up. And uh, this is what I'm fixing to say. Most important thing you'll ever learn to do. The most important thing you'll do if you're going to make it is to learn to get along with God. Get you either a Bible, a promise book, a devotional book or something and sit down and get quiet and let him encourage you and build your heart up. It's the most important thing you'll do. Everybody wants things to get easier. Things are not going to get easier. You need to get stronger. With his strength. His strength. This is not man up, suck it up, dude. We're not talking about that. Listen to this. You ever heard this? I can do all things through Christ who... You can't just claim that verse and go try something. You've got to let him strengthen you first. All right, let me give you a great picture of this. And we got to learn something from this because we're living in days where you need this. I don't know anybody that doesn't need this. Uh, David was a young man and uh, he, was a, he was just a farm boy. He was just a nobody. And Israel was confronted with an enemy nation. You know the story, Goliath. The guy's name was Goliath. He was the mightiest warrior in the earth. He stood nine foot tall. His spear was the size of a fence post. The shaft of his spear was like a fence post. And he had Israel scared to death. David said, I'll whoop him. I'll go. Everybody laughed at him. And they said, what are you going to use? I'm going to take a slingshot. And he took a slingshot and he faced the mightiest war on earth. And a lot of people mistake. He did not kill Goliath with a slingshot. He knocked him out with the slingshot. Then he took Goliath's sword and chopped his own head off. David's redneck. Now he wasn't redneck because he chopped his head off. A lot of people do that. He was a redneck because the Bible said David took his head and hung it in his tent. And now what you boys do, you kill a deer, hang your head on your wall for your wife. David hung his head on the wall. You don't get no redneck or that. What did we learn there? That very sword that he pointed at somebody said, I'm going to kill you with this with the very sword cut his own head off. Let's learn something from that. Be careful pointing your sword at somebody. All right. Because David did that, he became the national hero. People began to write songs about him. Saul has slain his thousands. David's killed 10,000. And the king got so jealous of him and hated him and tried to kill him because the king was neurotic. So David had to run from his own country because the king hated him because he knew God's hand was on him. So David takes 600 men with him. These guys were as, as unloved as he was and he formed his own little group and they were called David's Mighty Men and he trained them. And these guys would be like special ops guys today. They became mercenaries and countries hired them to go fight their battles for them. And David was good at this stuff. Great warrior. He had these, you know, this was, uh, this was SEAL team number one is what this was. These guys were bad news. Well, he built his own little city. It was called Ziklag. And the, his, him and these 600 guys moved there, built a city, uh, farmed. They had their wives and children, their livestock. All right, one day they go off to fight a battle for somebody. The Bible said they're coming back and they saw the smoke from afar. And they got there and their town had been, raw, had been invaded by the Amalekites. The town was burned to the ground. Their wives and children had been taken by these evil people. And the Bible said when they saw that, listen to what it said in uh, 1 Samuel 30. They lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever been where you cried where you couldn't cry anymore? That's exactly what happened to them. And then the next verse says, the men spoke of killing David because every man's heart was distressed because of his son and his daughter. They were so upset that their sons and daughters had been captured by these barbarians. God knows what's happening to them. 
and they got so upset, they're going to kill David for taking them on a raid. All right, now listen to me. You've, been, you've had to run from your country because you helped them. Your house is, your land's just been burned down. Your wife and children have been taken by a bunch of barbarians and now your friends want to kill you. Is this guy having a bad day? You think he could be discouraged right there? Listen to me, listen to me. I don't care how tough you are. There's things that happen that'll knock everybody down. But now listen to this. Here's what we learned very carefully. He did not say, let's go get them. The Bible said, David turned aside and strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he said, let's go get them. What's God speak? What's he teaching me and you right there? Before you tackle the problems of life, you got to learn to get with God and let him strengthen your heart. Most important thing you'll ever do is to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, dear ones, it's good to go to church. It's good for all that stuff. Listen to me. Feed a man, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. I'm glad to feed you in here. I want you to get to where you can do this with God by yourself. And it, listen, take it, you can do, you use your Bible. If you know how to use a Bible to do this, do not read the book of Leviticus. And I'm not big on that. Read the Bible through in a year. You'll fall asleep. It's better if you don't know how to do it, get you a promise book and look at the promises of God and say, speak to my heart. Or you might get a good devotional book or you might just play music and talk to him. You have got to learn to take a few moments, get along with God every day and say, help me and encourage me. And you got to experience the Holy Spirit. You're supposed, listen, you're not supposed to do this in your strength. You're supposed to do this in His strength. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Well, you wouldn't need to renew it if it wasn't gone. You, you don't get three weeks worth from Him. You get one day's portion every day. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. You say, well, times are tough. I got news for you. They're going to get tougher. So are you. We need to get stronger. And that's what encouragement or strength is in the Lord. That's why the Bible said, praise God, the God of all encouragement who encourages us in any trouble that we're going through. Let me make an announcement to you. Your heavenly father does not want you discouraged and he doesn't want you tired. You know how I know that? Let me quote to you Hebrews chapter 12. Get the junk out of your life. Get the stuff out of the way and run with endurance the race set before you. Get your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him, disregarded the shame, laid his life down on the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Why did my father say that? Sounds to me like he's saying to me, I don't want you discouraged. I want you strong. And of course, he supplies the strength. All right. I'm going to say this again, because I'm not preaching a sermon this morning. I'm trying to help you. It was, if you're a follower of Jesus, the most important thing you can do is learn how to let God strengthen you and learn how to get along with him or do, you know, you have to turn aside and get help. Yeah. Just say, I'm too busy. Look right here to me. You're going to get killed. That's right. I, was that nice? I must, probably should have said that. I'm telling you, you have got to have the strength of God today. All right. Let me tell you what I heard recently, just this last week. Uh, Mr. Barna is the top Christian poster in America. Mr. Gallup's the top secular poster. Mr. Barna, recent survey after COVID last year, surveyed 40% of American preachers are trying to quit the ministry. Half the preachers want to leave. And the reason, it's not because they run off with somebody. You know what the reason is? They can't take it anymore. We don't need people, we don't need people getting out of the ball game because it's tough. We need people getting in the ball game these days. Well, I, I love them. I care for them. But listen to me. These preachers need to learn how, it's not going to get any easier. You were born for such a time as this. 
We don't need to run because it's tough. We need the touch of God on us. Let me tell you something about my God from this Bible. He don't deliver you from the fire. He gets in the fire with you. He don't keep you out of the lion's den. He gets in there with you. He don't keep the truck. He don't keep you from the storms. He's in there with you. More than a, more than finding some place to run to, we need to run to God and say, light my fire. That may not be scriptural, but you know what I'm saying. Strengthen, help, do something. Help me, Ron. Help me, Jesus. Do something here. You know, we're facing a crisis coming up in the next four or five years of school teachers. People are running from teaching. I don't blame them. I believe teachers should be armed. Side arms. They said, well, train them. I don't care whether you train them or not. Give them a gun, turn them loose. I believe they should get combat pay. You say, that's not that hard. You go face middle school demons. And then, that ain't the hard part. Wait till their mama show up. Now I'm being cute. I'm teaching tough today. But where can you go that you can help more people? Let me know, teachers teacher don't need to run. Teachers need to learn to get with God and get the strength of God in their lives so they can say, I'm not looking for an easy life. I'm looking for a fruitful life. Amen. You want to know something tougher than preaching and teaching? Try raising a child today. And wait till they turn 14. You don't need, you need Gabriel. Dear ones, I'm telling you, we're at a place now we need the strength of God. And we need the most important, I'm going to say it again, for the 29th time today, most important thing you can learn to do is get with God and let Him strengthen your heart. Listen to me, experiment. Experiment. You figure out a way. You say, I don't have the time. Make the time, Bubba. I know a many a person whose life has fallen apart and they can't go back and do it right now. Let's do it right. All right, now, number three. Why does he give me this strength? Number one, to help me. There's two reasons he helps me. What's the other one? We're still in 1 Corinthians 2. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1. I'll get it right here. All right, let's read it again. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus, the Father of mercies, the God of all encouragement, who encourages us in all our troubles, that we may be able to encourage those who are in any trouble with the encouragement God gave us. What's the other reason God strengthens you? so you can open your mouth and help people. God gives you His strength and, and, and strengthens you because He wants you to do it for other people. In His great economy, people say, well, isn't God enough? Yeah, He's enough. Why did He put us together? In His economy, He wants you to help people. And He wants people to help you and help me. His plan is to, is to help other people. Uh, let me put this forth from you. Even, even though I've got God... I need people. Now, I'm a, I'm a loner. I run by myself. Some people are just weirdos like me. I understand that. Like being alone. But then was God set it up so that you need Him and people. That's 1 Corinthians 12. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. You can't say to the other people in your body of Christ, you can't say, I don't need you. You need them. I want to show you something. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Then was God didn't create the church so we'd come down here and fuss at each other and beat on each other and compete with each other. God designed the church so that people could lean on each other and help each other. All right. The man who wrote this is, of course, he's the apostle over all the churches at the time. He wrote half the books in the New Testament and he's writing to this church that he loved so much that he started. I want you to listen to what he said. 
I'm going to send somebody to you and they're going to help you. Now look with, this with, look with me in Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord. He'll tell you all the news about me. Now look at verse 8. I'm, send, I'm sending him to you for this purpose, that he may know your circumstances and encourage your heart or comfort your heart. What do he say? I know y'all got Jesus. Go read the first part of that book. He knows they got Jesus. He said, I'm sending a man that'll encourage you and help you. Can you see in God's economy here that he wants to send people to help other people? And he, wa he wants to send people to you to encourage you. And he wants to send you to encourage people. Let me just point to one more. This man, Paul, who wrote this, this is the toughest human being I've ever even heard of in my life. I mean, John Wayne looks like Mr. Rogers compared to Paul. This man was carved out of granite. Nothing moved him. One time he went to preach and the, the, they got mad, took him outside, killed him, stoned him, parried him under a pile of stones. They thought he was dead. They walked off. All of a sudden the stones started moving. He popped his head out. He finished his sermon. Nothing. He said, nothing moves me. In the book of Acts, he went, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They started crying, said, they'll kill you. He said, what are you doing bothering me? He said, I plan on getting killed. He said, I want to die if I can preach there. He took a little young fellow with him on a mission trip one time. They got stoned, they got whipped, they got beat. He wanted to quit. He said, you'll never go with me again if that's all you can stand. This guy was tough. First Corinthians 16, we find these words. I thank God for the coming of Stephanus. That man strengthened me and encouraged me. If a man that tough needs somebody to encourage him once in a while, guess what you need? Who encourages you? God has designed it in his economy that we would encourage each other and strengthen each other and speak to each other. Let me ask you a question. Who encourages you? Number two, who do you encourage? You weren't put on this earth to eat cheeseburgers and burp and die. You was put on this cheeseburger. On this cheeseburger. <laughs> Y'all hungry? I'm about to starve. This daylight saving time has ruined everything for me. You were put on this earth to help people. Can I ask you a question? If you're saved, why are you still here? Why didn't he just take you to heaven? There's nothing you can't do in heaven you don't do here except one thing. Help people. Everything else we're doing here, we can do when we get there better. We're on this earth for one reason, to love Jesus and know him and help people. And now this, I'm going to say it again now. God wants to strengthen your heart. He wants to pour his spirit. Well, listen, the American church has got to get to know the Holy Spirit of strength again. We can't run in human energy anymore, which is what we run in. We have got to know the spirit of strength. Now, I want to say something here. I know the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. And a lot of people, because you think of these weirdos that run around duck walking and talking funny with black dresses and the hair up and bondage. I know that I understand that stuff. That is not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is the spirit of life and hope and encouragement. And we have got to get to know the presence of God and the Spirit of God in our hearts again in this generation. All right, I want to take a minute here. I want to take you in the Bible and I want to show you concerning encouragement. Everybody's looking for a better life. Yes. That's the only reason you're in church this morning. You're looking for something. Everybody I know is looking for a better life. The answer's in this book. Amen. The keys to a great life are in this book. And I'm going to show you one of the great keys that we're missing a mile and we need to use this key again. All right, before we look, turn with me to John chapter 4. Let's find John chapter 4. I want to show you one of the keys to a better, and this will fit anybody. And the thing is, uh, it's, it's so available. All right, before we read it, let me remind you one of the great overriding laws in the universe. 
And this law applies to the whole universe. God put it in place. It's still here today. It's called the law of the harvest. Anybody ever heard of the law of the harvest? I'm sure you have. It's in Galatians chapter 3. We won't look at it. Let me just quote it to you. Here's the law of the harvest. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So in other words, if the, the law of the harvest is in effect in agriculture. If you sow cotton, you get cotton. You sow cherries, you get cherries. Sow briars. I mean, whatever you sow, you reap. That's called the law of the harvest. Whatever a man sows, that shall also reap. Now listen to me. That's in effect in relationships. That law is in effect in money. That law is in effect in, that's God's economy is the law of the harvest, sowing and reaping. There's three things you need to know about the law of the harvest. Number one, you sow exactly, you reap exactly what you sow. You don't sow butter beans and get corn. Number two, you always reap more than you sow. Nobody would sow one kernel of corn expecting one back. You already got that. How many kernels of corn do you expect when you put one kernel of wheat corn in the ground? 900. Because average year, average stalk's got three years on it. Average ear's got 300 kernels on it. You expect more. What's the third law of the harvest? The harvest is delayed. You usually reap a little bit later than you sow. You don't sow corn today and get it tomorrow. You get it 90 days from now. Everything you do in life needs to be understood by the law of the harvest. Listen to me carefully. Every word you speak, the law of the harvest is in effect over your words. All right? This being the case, if you need something, sow it. If you have a need, sow the seed. Concerning encouragement, look what Jesus said right here in John chapter 4. Let me set this up for you. These boys had walked about 20 miles that morning. They're tired. It's lunchtime. They're hungry. The Bible even said Jesus was tired. He told the guys, y'all go to town, get lunch. It's just two miles away. I'm going to wait out here. All right, he's resting. The Bible said he was tired, so he sat down. This chick comes up to get water out of the well, and uh, she bad, she's a bad girl. She'd been married five times. She's sacked up with everybody in town, sleeping with a guy she's not married to. Type guy that preachers don't normally hang around. Well, some of them do. Type guy that preachers don't normally hang around. But Jesus just loved her. And he went over and started talking to her. Let me teach you something about Jesus. He didn't go over and fuss at her. He knew everything about her life. He knew that she was a, she was a wild woman. He knew everything about her life. He didn't say one ugly word to her. He didn't fuss at her. He knew what he said to her. You keep living like this, you're never going to find what your heart's looking for. Come with me, you'll find what you're looking for. You're never going to find what your heart's looking for jumping from bed to bed. I'm what you're looking for. I'll satisfy your heart. That's the message of God. Quit fussing at people because they're messed up. God don't kick people. God picks people up. We got to quit beating people up and start helping people up. And it was the message of grace. All right, the disciples come back. They're shocked. Their head, their head pastor is talking to the town hooker. And they're highly nervous. And you can tell it. But, you know, you just don't walk up to God and say, you can't do this. So they're trying to figure out a way to get him away from this hooker before everybody sees it. And so they came up with this plan. Let's tell him lunch is ready. Tell him lunch is getting cold. And get him over here eating. So they set the lunch down. They said, here, let's pick it up there. They're trying to get him away from this woman. Uh, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. They said, you, our dinner's getting cold. You need to go over here and eat. Verse 32, he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. The disciples said, somebody bring him something to eat. Clueless. They're looking for Hardy's bags and mess like this. He's not talking about food. Uh, they're trying to get him to eat. And he says, 
I'm so excited, I'm not even hungry anymore. Dennis, what excites you so much that you don't want to eat anymore? That's what he's talking about here. Watch this. My food, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Listen to what Jesus said. He did not say my duty is to do God's will. He didn't say I have to do God's will. I'm going to be in trouble. What did he say? What thrills my heart is to do what the Father's doing. Well, what was he doing? He was speaking hope to a messed up woman. Get it? Then what's your Father's will? Speak to people and help them. Talk life to people. And listen, it's not because you have to. He said, this is food to me. You want to enjoy your life? Well, let's look a little further here. Verse 35. And then he said to them, do you not say there's still four months then the harvest? I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. He was not talking about corn, wheat. He was talking about people. You want me to cut to the chase? He said, could you get your mind off your lunch for five minutes? Lift up your eyes. Look at the people and look how needy they are. You know what he said? Get out of your little world. Get out of your little box. Quit thinking about your stuff all the time. Start looking at people and think about how can I help them? He said, it's the right thing to do. You missed it a mile and a half. You missed it. You want to be fed? Let me say it this way. You want to live encouraged? Start encouraging people. You want to have a blast? Start helping people. You have never had... You know why Americans are miserable today? Because this is our little world right here. All about me. My food, my food. Now how can I lose weight? My food, how can I lose weight? I saw on the TV, you get this pill, you sit on the couch, you don't have to exercise, falls right off, right out there on the floor. What did Jesus say right here? Get your mind off yourself. Get out of your little world. Start looking around at people. Watch people. We are so self-consumed. This is the law of the harvest. You want to live? Help people live. Start helping other people. You probably think, you're probably going to think ugly me for what I'm fixing to tell. I've already retired. You can't fire me. And you know I'm not ever going to grow up. Some time back, I had a big time preacher come to my church. Not this one. And uh, he was a big shot. But he came, we were buddies, so he came to preach. A couple of other preachers wanted to come, so they came. We all went out to eat. I know several of us. We're at this restaurant. We had one preacher with us, and he, he, gosh, he had trouble being quiet. He just ran his mouth, and he was trying to impress this preacher about how great he was. And Here's what I've done. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm doing. He just wouldn't shut up and let anybody else say anything. Well, the little waitress comes over, and I start watching her. And uh, I noticed on her little pad, she had her pad out, she had a little school picture of a little girl stuck on that pad. And I said, I bet that's her child. And I'm sort of watching. And I, the Spirit of God sort of zeroing me in on her. And I think, I bet we can help her. And uh, so she's trying to get things going. And this preacher was so rude to her. He wouldn't even look at her. Just, just get me something. And then he went back telling everybody how great he was. All right, I'm like Elvis about now. My temperature's rising. And I'm trying to talk to this girl. I think she needs help. A single mother trying to raise a child, trying to get by. And here's this big shot preacher being rude to her. And so I'm, I, she comes over and I said, that's your little girl, isn't it? She said, yeah. I said, talking to her. Well, I couldn't talk to her for him running his mouth. So she went away to get some. I tried and said, could you shut the hell up for about five minutes? I said, I'm trying to help this girl. Could you lift up your eyes and look at the fields that are white and be quiet? Well, that went over about like a pregnant pole vaulter. That didn't clear the bar too well. He said, I was ugly. I know he shouldn't have done it. I told you I never went to school. Dear ones, we are so self-absorbed. I'm not being ugly. You want to live? Get your eyes on other people. Look up, lift up your eyes. 
and get up, pray this prayer every morning. You get up every morning, let Jesus help you and strengthen you. And then you say this, dear Jesus, put people in front of me that need help today. Put people in front of me that, I, that need to hear a good word in due season. A good word spoken at the right time is like cold water to a thirsty soul. Help me know what to say to the people I work with today. And the answer is not, you're stupid. You want to, y'all want to get wild and go all out. Are you ready? You want to just go crazy over this thing? Pray this prayer. Help me to know what to say to my wife today to help her. We're going to get wilder than that. Help me to know what to say to my husband, that idiot, to help him. You don't, why do you want to take a missionary trip to Mozambique? You've got people living in your house. Far be it for me to preach the Bible. Lift up your eyes. All right. You want to live encouraged? Be an encourager. Make it say, dear Jesus, fill me up and pour it out. Let me give you another way Jesus painted this. Listen to this. This is John 7, 37 through 39. Are you thirsty? And all of us are. Thirsty? Come to me and drink. Come to me. And then he who comes to me and drinks out of his heart will flow rivers of life-giving water. This he spoke of the Spirit, not H2O. You learn to go to Jesus and let him pour his Spirit into your heart, then you open your mouth and out of your heart's going to come life to people. Let Jesus fill you up and then you pour it out. You go back next morning and say, I poured it out on people yesterday. I need more, Jesus. This is life. It's to come to him and drink. Let him encourage you. And then you go and encourage people. I don't want to... Before I wrap up, I want to ask you if you've ever noticed this or not. You ever notice how that people in the, in the Bible, God gave them nicknames? He would name people things, different things. It wasn't their surname. He would name them names according to what they were like or who they were. Y'all never notice that? This is all through the Bible. Uh, for instance, the first time, John chapter 1, when Simon, man's name was Simon, came up to Jesus, and Jesus changed his name first time he saw him. What did he change it to? Peter. All right, now we say Peter. That's our uh, English interpretation. But the Greek word is Petra. He called him Petra. We get our word petrified from it. Not like petrified Baptist. That's not what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Petra means rock. So we call him Peter, but his name was Rock. His name was Simon. Jesus said, from this day forward, I'm going to call you Rock. Why would you call somebody Rock? On this rock, I will build. He said, you're the type of man I can build things on. And because Simon could be a foundational stone in helping other people, from that day, Jesus called him Rock. One of the funniest ones in the Bible, the, he called Simon and Andrew first. The next four, two people he called were James and John. They were brothers, fishermen. Remember what he nicknamed them? Remember? Thunder. Why would you name somebody Thunder? He said, and whom their names are, whom Jesus surnamed Boandry, so it's being interpreted means sons of Thunder. Why would Jesus call you Thunder? Well, perhaps places like Luke 9 would tell us. Jesus went to preach in this little town. The people said, we don't want Jesus here. James and John turned to him and said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and kill them? <laughs> look it up. John Luke chapter 9, look it up. Jesus turned to them and said, what is wrong with you? I didn't come to kill people. I came to help people. See why he named them Thunder? Because of their hot temper, he named them Thunder. All through the Bible, God gave people different names that meant things. Let me ask you a funny question just for fun. What would he name you? Think about it. You just think about it a while. You know my perverted sense of humor. I just see my king sitting there and Gabriel saying, what are we going to call that, Gabriel? 
How about Miss Stiff? Okay, well, I thought they embalmed people after they was dead. I believe they did her before she got there. I could go on about what he named different people. Dear ones, by the way, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me show you the nickname you want God to give you. This is the greatest nickname. A nickname is my name. It's when God names somebody. So I'm going to call you this because it's who you are. This is the greatest name he ever named anybody. It's the name you want God to name you. Turn me to Acts chapter four. I want you to see something. There's a man in the early church. He was not an apostle. He was not a leader. He was a very active man. He gave generously. But this man did something and they named him because of this. In Acts chapter four, and listen to me. This is what you want God to say about you. All right, now we're in Acts chapter 4, so you know in Acts chapter 4, Jesus has already gone back to heaven. Jesus went back to heaven in Acts chapter 1. So the apostles are are doing his ministry now. And I want you to look what they did with this guy right here. Acts chapter 4, probably about verse 36. Acts 4, 36. And Joseph, his name was Joseph. Now just pause. Joseph is the Greek word, and we get the name Joseph out of it. And it can be Joseph or Joseph, that Greek word. So his real name was Joseph or Joseph. And Joseph, who was also nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means Mr. Encouragement or son of encouragement. Let me ask you a question. Why would you look at a guy and say, we're going to call you Mr. Encouragement from now on? Why would you call somebody that? Take a wild guess. This man was so encouraging and he had such a gift to build people up that they started calling him Mr. Encouragement or Son of Encouragement. I could build a case through the book of Acts and into the book of Galatians. This was the most respected Christian in the early church. Even above the apostles, I could show you that. They loved this man. This, you don't see much about him in the Bible. His name was Joseph or uh, Barnabas, which is encourager. But this man carried the New Testament church. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a prophet. Didn't have those spiritual gifts. But you know what he could do? He could build people up. If you're going to get God to give you a nickname, make it son of encouragement or Mr. Encouragement. And let me point something out here. According to the Bible, never too late to change your name. There was a man in the Bible. His name was Jacob. His real name was, remember what God named him? Remember what his real name was? Deceiver. God named him Deceiver because that's what he did. He was a con man. He conned his brother. He conned his daddy. He He conned his daddy in law out of all his cows. He just lived to be a deceiver. We know when you live like that, you're going to get in trouble. And sure enough, he's in trouble. He's fixing to get killed. The night before he got killed, he decided, I better get with God and have a meeting with him. I'm going to get killed. So the Bible said he wrestled all night with God. And this man, when he met with God, something happened to him and he was changed. The next morning, God spoke to him and he said, because you have wrestled with me, I change your name. You will no longer be called deceiver. From this day, your name is Israel, which means man of God, prince with God. I don't care if you've been a con man. I don't care what you've been all your life. Why don't you get with God and let him change your life and change your name to man of God, woman of God, or Mr. Encouragement would be a fine one by me. Never too late to change your name. All right, I'm going to quit again by telling you something. Everybody in this room, listen to me. Do you have any idea what's in your mouth? Here's what I mean. Do you understand the power that's in your mouth? Do you understand what you could do with that tongue right there? We don't think about this. Let me tell you something. The power to save people's lives is in your mouth. You say, I'm not a trained preacher. I don't care. 
It's in your mouth. The power to kill people is in your mouth. Look at that with me. Let's, I'm going to turn and look. I want to look at it. Proverbs 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Now you see if you hadn't seen this happen. Proverbs 18 says that in your mouth is the power to destroy. How many men have I seen destroy their children with their tongues? But how many men have I seen build great children with their mouths? How many preachers, how many people have I seen destroyed by preachers' mouths? Beat the tar out of them. Break them. But how many people have I seen helped by preachers' mouths? The, the power is in your tongue. Look at me in Proverbs chapter 18. I believe it's verse 21. I right, look at this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You are going to eat the fruit of your words. Your words bear fruit. Your words have effect in the earth. Tell me the two things that are in your tongue. Death and life. Death and life. All right. I want you to claim a verse of me. Don't just read the Bible. When you read it, say, I claim that. Here's a verse I want you to claim. This one, I love this verse. I claim it all the time. Isaiah 50, verse four. Listen to what it says. The living God has given me the tongue of the wise that I might know how to speak a word at the right time to him who is weary and discouraged. What if God gave you a tongue so that you'd know how to talk to people that are discouraged and help them? That's Isaiah 50, verse four. The living God has given me the tongue of the wise, the learned, that I might know how to speak the right word at the right time to him who is discouraged and struggling. The greatest need of this day is not more information, it's encouragement. It's to help people with our words. Now I'm gonna give you one example of the power of words. We're not talking about making somebody's day, although I want to make somebody's day every day. I'm talking about changing people's lives. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what you build for yourself. You're on this planet to help people. God put us here to help people. And to chart the course of somebody's life up is the best thing you can do. Let me give you one example. 30 some years ago, Katie and I, a little country church, way down in the country, just loved them people. I mean, we... We didn't get Sundays, sunshine till Thursday. We was that far back in the woods. And I loved them folks down there. And at the same time, I was chaplain at Wingate College, Wingate University now, over sports and stuff like that. And uh, there was a little diner in front of Wingate College there. And me and the fellows from my church, we'd eat breakfast there a lot, eat lunch, and just a little, great little country diner. And a young lady ran it. I loved her dearly. All right, one day we got done and she said to me, could you stick around? I need to talk to you. So my buddies left and we sat down and she said, uh, my sister, her sister was a waitress there. She said, my sister works here. Waitress said, she's pregnant. She wasn't married. She said, she's in trouble. Would you talk to her? I said, I'd love to. Love to talk to folks like that. And I, so I left. I knew they closed at two o'clock. It took a while to clean up. So I went back over and I parked out in that old gravel parking lot. It was hot that day. And uh, about 2.30, sure enough, she came out the door and I hollered. I said, hey, come here a minute. Come here, get my truck. I want to talk to you. So she got in there and I said, um, your sister told me what's going on. She started crying. She said, my boyfriend said, I, I got to abort this baby. She said, I, I can't keep it. I just, she said, I don't want to, but I don't have any other choice. I said to her, yes, you do. I said, listen to me, you can do this. She wasn't even a Christian, a believer. I said, you can, I said, listen, if you'll have this baby, God will help you. I said, Katie and I'll help you. I said, you can, you can move in the house with us if you need to. I need to check with her, I guess. I, got, I just want to test. I got the greatest wife in the world. I've done this to her. I walked in one day with a six-month-old baby in the house. She said, where'd you get that from? 
I said, we're going to take care of this baby for a while while mama's in rehab. She said, well, I'd appreciate it if you'd call me. She said, but when you say we going to take care of this baby, what you mean we, white man? We talking about we going to take care of this baby. I said, yeah. That's out of my league right Anyway, I said, we'll help. I said, you can do this. I said, God, and I said, listen, you have this baby and this baby will be a blessing to the world. She started crying. She said, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, I said, I'll, I'm going to help you. And I'd go by there. I'd, she got pregnant or pregnant. You know what that means? Yeah. Way out there. And I would cheer for her and go by there and encourage her. And I said, do you need anything? Can we help you? You know, people just need somebody to cheer for. Them. All right. As it happened, she got way pregnant. And about seven, eight months later, we moved away right before she had that baby, I guess. Never heard from her again. 22 years later. A lady called me from that church. It was a dear friend of ours. I loved her dearly. She said, my daughter's getting married. Could you come do the wedding? I said, I'd love to. Be a chance to visit? Because I'd met her daughter at Revivals. Beautiful girl. Just loved Jesus. Happy she could be. I said, we'll have a great time. So I got in there to do this wedding. I had rehearsal uh, the Friday night. Went to had rehearsal. Then we had a rehearsal dinner. And so we go to this rehearsal dinner. They got round tables. You know, you can't sit who you serve where you want. They tell you where to sit. Write your name. Sit, sit right here. I can't get enough sense to pick a place out. So they tell you where you sit right here. So I sit at this round table and it was me and the bride and the groom and the best man and the best woman. I think it's a maid of honor. I call them the best woman. And it was the five of us sitting at that table. And I sat there and talked to them that night. I was so impressed with those kids. Every one of them just loved Jesus, talked about what the Lord had done for them. And I'm asking them, what are you going to do with your life? What, what are you planning on doing? And they're telling us, that's great. And the little best woman, she said, I want to be a missionary. I got to tell people what Jesus has done for me. And I'm just cheering. We had the best time. I left thinking, this world's going to be in good shape. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of good kids out there now. A lot of them right here. Hey, a lot of good kids out there love God. And I remember being so blessed. Right next to we had the wedding. And then we had that reception. That's where you walk around in a tie and look like you're comfortable drinking punch. And so I'm in there, I'm milling around there visiting with people. And a lady came up to me and she said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, yeah, I remember you. I sure do. And it was the lady, it was that waitress. I said, tell me, how you doing? She said, I'm doing great. She'd become a believer, loved God. She was teaching Sunday school in that church. She said, I married a godly man, married the boyfriend. And said, our home's just doing great. She told me where she lived. I wanted to ask about that baby so bad, but I, I was afraid to. She said, do you remember that day you came and talked to me in that parking lot? I said, yeah, I remember that day. She said, well, you know, you moved away. She said, I had a little girl. And so we'd have had the best time and said, we've just been so blessed. And she said, that's her right there. And she pointed, it was the best woman I'd been sitting with the night before that was going on the mission field and going to be a blessing to the world. Let me tell you something. The power of life is in your tongue. All it takes is a few words spoken in due season at the right time. You say, well, I'm not a trained preacher. Be thankful. <laughs> You won't drop a religious load on them. Is Jesus living in your heart? Amen. Have you got a tongue? You got everything you need to change this world. You can alter the course of history. What would happen in your life if Jesus got in your heart? And then in your tongue. Don't be, repeat, don't be repeating this mess. Speak life. You get up every day and you say, Lord Jesus, fill me up. Now I'm ready to pour it out. And I, listen, if you want to have some real fun, pick the ones that need it the most. I've told people, I'm going to make you happy whether you like it or not. I'm going to stand right here till you get happy. Until you smile, I ain't leaving. Dear ones, Jesus is life. 
He needs to borrow your tongue because you're what he's got in the earth right now. All right, Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. Lord Jesus, religion bores me. Sometimes it makes me mad. Sometimes I bore me. But dear Jesus, I have never been alone with you that my heart was not so excited when you got done. I praise you and thank you that you are an, you're the greatest encourager in the world. Father, just like I love to encourage my children, a father encourages his children. He speaks comfort to them when they need it. He tells them how to do things. I want to praise you that you said when you pray, say, Our Father. And I thank you and praise you that you are the voice of hope and life. Now I'm going to pray for everybody in this room. Everybody watching. In the name of Jesus, put it in their hearts. Help them learn how to get with you and let you build them up. Father, it is the voice of God in the earth that gives life and hope. And then, Lord Jesus, what I need is an army of life speakers. I need an army of encouragers to flood this land. Our enemy has flooded this land with discouragement and hatred and despair and garbage. I need people to flood this land with your life and your hope. As your word says, loosen the man's tongue and let him speak life. Trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in our hearts and homes. In his precious name we pray. Amen and amen.